come on, watch the video and subscribe. You will not regret it. It's some good material. All right, guys, let's continue with our study in the book of Genesis. The last time we were here, we were looking in chapter 10 when we dealt with basically the nations of people, and that is the races, the races, but the nations of people, roughly around 70 nations that descended from the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now in chapter 10, we see about three or four times over and over again when it talks about, now these are the nations and the families that descended from the sons and it would say basically from Shem, Japheth, or Ham. But it didn't really discuss how all of this came about. Now that's point number one. And point number two, we find out in the family of Ham, there was a Ham who was the father of Cush, who was the father of one particular named Nimrod. Now this particular was quite special and the Bible called him, called him a particular hunter of men and a man who was a mighty man before the Lord. And it's talked about Nimrod building a kingdom. And this was the very first time that the word idea concept of a kingdom was ever discussed. Now, what we're trying to do, what we're going to do is this, as we're looking at the nations of people that descended from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the 17 nations of the world, the races of the world, when we begin to study chapter 11, it's going to discuss how all of these things came about in the first place. So there will be a connection between the nations of the world, which will be the races. This is where all races come from, guys. All right. So the nations of the world, there will be a connection with this and the person of Nimrod and the events that will be connecting with this great tower of Babel that we'll be discussing in chapter 11. But anyway, that's enough of a review. Let's just go to Genesis chapter 11. Now it says, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And now actually in the Hebrew text, it says the whole earth was of one lip. <laughs> so the bottom line is the whole world was of the same language and that language was the Hebrew language. It was of the Hebrew language. And the reason why is because when we look at all of the names used in scripture up to this point, they only make sense as we look at the meaning of those names. It only makes sense in Hebrew. Okay. Uh, and, and second of all, when we look at the word play, with respect to those names. It only makes sense when we look at the Hebrew wordplay meaning of those names. And another thing too, while I'm here, there is, and we know already, there's going to be a confusion of the language, or in other words, God will create multiple languages because of what's going to take place. But also we know that according to, I believe it's the book of Zephaniah, that the language of the earth will be restored once again in the millennial reign of the Messiah. So in other words, when Jesus comes back, he will restore the world back to a unified, a single language 
once again. I know I got way ahead of myself, but I just had to say it since it was in my mind. All right. But Jesus is going to give us back the original Hebrew language and all the world will speak Hebrew as we did before this particular event, Tower of Babel, and God confused the languages. But anyway, so let's go on, guys. So the world is all of one language. Verse number two, it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So what happened? They journeyed east. They journeyed east, that is east from Mount Ararat. Because you got to remember that when Noah uh, and his sons, of course, when the ark landed, it landed on Mount Ararat. So they had to move from that place. That is, they were moving eastward and they settled in the place of Shinar. Now, Shinar basically is nothing more than an ancient name for Babylon. Not the name for the name of Babylon. And the idea for the most part is because agricultural was good in that place, in that plain. All right. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They use brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and the tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, the whole idea that you have to see is this is basically an, an example of man's great pride. And that's, and you got to keep that in mind, the pride of man. All right. But, but, but let's go on now. What's going on here? Let's make the tie back. Remember when we said earlier in Genesis chapter 10 that it was this same Shinar or Babylon that became the kingdom of Nimrod. So here's where we make our tie. Now we see that Nimrod has now taken the position of the guard Marduk. Now, I don't have time to get into all of those particular details. But remember when it said that Nimrod was a great conqueror of men, he began to be a mighty one in the sight of God. So here we see what is going on in the kingdom of Nimrod. They have determined to build a city. They have determined to build, and in that city, they want to build a great tower. And this tower is nothing more. And we'll talk about that as we touch each of those points is nothing more than an idol's temple, right? And they try, they're trying to build, Nimrod, a name for themselves. And that's the whole idea. So that's why I said it was all about the pride and the arrogance of man. Now, another thing, guys, that's interesting to see, if you can recall, we are no more than four generations from the people who got off the ark. What do I mean? So you guys will get it really good. Remember, it was the Noah, his sons, and their wives got off the ark, right? And that was basically Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, this particular guy, Nimrod, is the son of Ham. That is, Nimrod, I tell you what, let's just go back to Genesis chapter 10, and you'll see in verse number 6, the sons of Cush, and, and, and that's the whole thing, Cush is the son of Ham, the sons of Ham were Cush, 
All right. And then we see verse number seven, the sons of Cush and this particular son, verse number eight, Nimrod. So let me give a correction. We are no more than three generations. I think three generations of people. By the time we get to Nimrod, three generations of people who have come from the ark. Now, what's important about that? Okay, guys, you got, you got to see the point that I'm trying to stress. Noah knew God. Noah had a relationship with God. And of course, this knowledge of God would be passed on to his sons. So the first generation, Noah, would be passed clearly, you know, without argument, to his sons. You, don't you know Noah would quite obviously tell his sons about the true God? They had no choice. They're seeing God destroy the world. Dad, why is this happening? Because God is destroying the world. So Ham knew about God. And we don't want to get into this whole issue about Ham being an immoral and an ungodly son. But nevertheless, he knew. And no doubt, the knowledge of this God, because Noah also lived during some of the time of the lives of the sons of Ham, who would be Cush, he would know about God. And also, Nimrod would know about God. And if you remember the thing that I told you about in the last video concerning Nimrod, his name literally means to rebel, to rebel against God. So it's not about Nimrod did not know about God. He not only knew about God, but he also rejected God. And a thing that I'm trying to get you guys to see here is this. You have three generation of people and already by the time we get to the third generation, men have already and, and not, not just simply forgotten about God, but they have moved to the point of rejecting God. They're simply saying to God, we don't want you. Now think about what that means, guys. Don't you realize if you asked your grandfather who was most likely alive, Noah, at that particular time, he could tell you God destroyed the world because of wickedness. He already has destroyed the world about wickedness. And you mean to tell me we can't move three generations into the future and already that same wickedness has settled in humanity once again. That same rebellion, Nimrod, is now the same, the issue of what's going on with humanity once again. And that's why God destroyed you in the first place. And we are now back at it once again. My point that I'm trying to make is how quickly humanity removes itself from a relationship with God, how fast it is. We, we, we lose the knowledge of God. All right. And I don't want to get into the thing that's really going in my mind. And see guys, my whole point is this. That's why God had to choose chapter. See, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Chapter 12, God calls Abraham. Why? Because if God did not choose a people for himself, the knowledge of God would have been lost. The relationship with God would have been lost. The worship of God would have been lost. And so God had to do what he did in choosing the Jewish people in order that this knowledge might be preserved for mankind so that we could be saved. Because if all mankind rejects the knowledge of God, and that's the whole point of what's happening here. You see the whole of, notice what it said, 
The whole world, all of humanity is gathered together. All of humanity has one tongue. All of humanity has one mind. And what are they doing? They are worshiping in idolatry. They have determined to reject God. What happens when you wholesale reject God? You fall into judgment. And if God does not, by his mercy and his grace, and we're going to talk about that too, preserve the knowledge of himself in humanity, what does that mean for the whole human race? We are lost in totality. Okay, now, you know what I just did, guys? I just summarized the whole section of what I'm supposed to be talking about today. But nevertheless, let's just go back. Sorry for the preaching, but let's just go back and once again, look at those verses. I just want you to understand what's really going on here. Okay. But anyway, so the point is this, you see Nimrod, as we talked about in chapter 10 in Babylon, setting up his kingdom. And as he's setting up his kingdom, we look into this chapter, chapter 11, we see exactly what he is doing in Babylon as he's building this great city and he's putting this tower in the center of Babylon, a tower of idolatrous worship. Okay. But anyway, let's go on. Let's go on. Let's go on. So they say, let's make brick. And this is the building of the city, brick and mortar. And that is basically tar. All right. Then invert. So they're going to, Notice that come let us, come let us make brick for a city. All right, verse number four, brick, I'm sorry, brick for a tower, brick for the tower. They said, number four, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that will reach into heaven. So that's the building that they're trying to do. The tower, the tower basically would be an ancient concept of the ziggurat. And notice they said that tower will reach into the heavens. Now, let me help you out what it means. It just simply letting you see that they have rejected the worship of God and now they have engaged themselves. Remember all of humanity acting as one under Nimrod as he leads humanity in this great rebellion against God. So they're trying to build this tower reaching into the heavens. That doesn't mean they're trying to go into the heavens of God. That just simply means they begin to worship the zodiacs, the stars of heaven. So here is where we see the first instance of idolatrous worship in the Bible. Here is where man first now begins to worship the stars of heaven and who is instigating and leading mankind in doing these things, Nimrod. And where is he doing these things? In Babylon. And let me make a little aside note. That is another reason why Revelation 17, I think it's 17 and 5, when it talks about Babylon, it calls Babylon the mother of all harlots. That is, all false worship, all idol worship, began in Babylon. It has some sort of root in Babylon itself. And here's where it began, as we see in Genesis chapter 11, as they are building this idolatrous tower to worship the stars of heaven. Okay. All right. But let's go on and make a name for ourselves. Remember when I told you they were talking about 
I told you that this, all of this was about man's pride. And that's what we see. Make a name for ourselves. No humility, no worship of God. It is a total rejection of God and a total rejection of any humility before God that we might, that we mankind might worship him. Forget that. We're going to make a name for ourselves, And that's the problem here. But anyway, and then here's the ultimate problem. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And their determination was we will not be scattered. All you have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 9. Remember the covenant that God made with Noah and all the creations. And Noah's sons were quite familiar with it. Covenant was also made with them. What was the covenant? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So God commanded them to do this thing. And notice the very thing God commanded them to do, fill the whole earth. That is, in order to fill the whole earth, you got to scatter abroad on the whole earth. They said, we will not be scattered abroad. So what is the point? We have an absolute rejection of God, his commandment, and the worship of God. So they violated the covenant that they just made. All right, verse number five. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So now here is the thing. In verse five, there's a bit of sarcasm as we use anthropological language. And we talked about that a number of times thus far. That is, as we depict God as if he is a man, all right? God having to come down. God knows everything. God sees everything, all right? That's why we say it's anthropological language, as if God is a man having to come down to see what is taking place. But the point is, there is also a degree of satire in all of man's arrogance in building a name and a city and a tower for himself. Man's pride. God says, all right, <laughs> you guys trying to do all of this. God has to lower himself and God has to come down to take a look. What is this mess that they think that they're doing? Let me come and take a look at this. That They're trying to build a tower so high, but nevertheless, as high as they're trying to build this tower, I, God, still got to come down and take a look at this thing that they're trying to build. So there's a little satire that they're trying, that God is employing when he speaks of himself and what man is trying to do, right? But anyway, and the Lord said, he, there are certain notifications that have to be made here. The unity of mankind. Notice one people. That means that they were all, mankind was all one nationality or one race. Again, this whole instance of what's going on, Leviticus 11, one th I'm sorry, <laughs> Genesis 11, 1 through 9, the section we're covering today, has to deal with how the world became different nations, races, and languages, okay? So he begins to look at how 
the unity as one people, one nation, one race, one language, and in mankind's unity, instead of doing good with this unity, he has purpose evil in his heart. God says, look what he is doing. He's not worshiping God. He has wholesale completely rejected me and rejected the worship of me in open rebellion against me. Look at what he is doing. Now, if man continues in this fashion, notice what God said. Everything that he purposes to do, nothing will be impossible to him. In other words, if he's starting to do this now, just imagine what man will do if left in this manner. If you leave man in this unity of rebellion, what will he do? How bad will it actually get? All right. Now, oftentimes when we think about the whole issue of what God is about to do, we usually see it as an act of judgment. Now, in a way, guys, it is an act of judgment. But I want to submit to you that it's something even better, even more than just God's act of judgment as he did uh, Genesis chapter six, dealing with the whole issue of the flood. I think it's a little bit something more to it than that. But anyway, and never that, and, and, and there's a principle, there's a principle concerning God's judgment that I don't want to deal with right now. Maybe I'll make a, a video about that too later, but not right now. Let's just go on and continue with this teaching. And then I'll try to show you guys exactly what I'm talking about. So what does God do? God begins to thwart what man has purpose to do. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. All right. So now we see God acting in judgment. He says, come, let us go down. And, and, and it, that's a similar language that we see in Genesis 1 and 26 when God said, let us make man in our image. That is, that is the language of the Trinity. And as if God is speaking with the other members of the Godhead and God is acting concerning the activities of man, even Nimrod, mankind as a whole in this whole tower of Babel. All right. He says, let us go down and confuse their language. So now, therefore, we have the many languages. And this is why we have so many different languages nations, and even races, because as God changed the languages, as he changed those different languages, people who spoke the, who can identify, oh, I understand what you're saying, who spoke the same language, they gathered together and they began to leave. They left the Tower of Babel. They left because they couldn't communicate with the other people. So you had a number of different languages at that time. So people found people who could speak languages that they themselves understood divided into these groups. They became 
the different nationalities and races, and they began to spread over all parts of the earth. And that's why we have the different races and nationalities with the different languages that we have this day. Okay, but let me finish it. Eight, so they were scattered abroad there over the face of the earth, and what was the end result? They stopped building the city. Remember it said in chapter 10 that Nimrod had began building the city of Babylon, and then it said he continued on from there and went to Assyria and started building cities there. Now we have our reason. The reason why Nimrod, chapter 10, stopped building Babylon is because of the judgment of God. The tongues were changed and men began to scatter abroad. And so Nimrod lost that unity that he once had. And so he moved from there, Babylon, to Assyria and began to build the cities of Assyria there. Okay, but let me finish on. The summation in verse number nine. Therefore, it was called Babel. Now, here what we have, Babel, beautiful thing. Babel means gate of God. It means the gate of God. So in the mind of Nimrod, in the mind of humanity, as they rebelled and rejected the true God, began to serve and worship idol gods, the gods of the heavens, the stars and the skies. They called that great tower, it's, it was a symbol for the gate of the gods. You got it? In their worship of God. And now what we have is a wordplay. And in Hebrew, there is a, a, a wordplay. It means balal, balal. Balal means to confuse. So what we got is a wordplay. What they called the gate of the gods, God has now reduced to confusion, Balal, right? Why? Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, what? The Lord scattered them from abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, before I finish this, guys, I want to make one comment concerning this whole thing. Oftentimes it seems that people call this judgment. But what I believe here is the extension of mercy. Why? Because if mankind was permitted to do what he had done, what happened? Nimrod had taken all mankind, gathered them in unity, and there they were in Babylon, rejecting God and worshiping idols. Note what it said. The whole of humanity was doing so. Do you know what would have been the end result for us all? We would have been lost without hope at all. The act of God was not only simply judgment, but mercy. Why? Because when God did that, it allowed him to choose a man, Abraham, even a people, the Jewish people, to preserve the knowledge and the worship of God for humanity so that we might be saved. Now, we see the apostle Paul talking about it in the book of Acts. And let me just briefly tell you what happened. He was moving in the Areopagus, that is in the marketplace of the Greeks. And he saw this particular sign that said to the, 
to the unknown God. And the Greeks were worshiping this unknown God. And Paul was stirred up by his spirit. And he said, this God that you worship in ignorance, let me tell you about him. And then Paul begins to make a statement. And I'm going to read that to you in verse number. I'm in Acts 17. I'm going to read that to you in verse number 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. Notice every nation from one mankind. Let's go all the way back. Even from Adam to Noah, one man, every nation from Noah, every nation was made from the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, every nation was made. What did he say? To live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation. And I don't want to get into that. Pointed times when they would be made into nations, boundaries of habitations, where those particular nations would be located. Verse number 27, and here's my driving point. When God made them the nations, when he separated them into the different nations, into the different people and the languages, 27, that they would have, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So what did he say? God separated the nations. God created the languages and the races. The judgment that was taking place in Genesis, Genesis 11 was not simply God displaying his anger at what was going on with mankind. You doggone right. God did not like what they were doing, but when God acted, he didn't act simply to judge, to slap mankind. He acted in mercy because had he left us to ourselves, we would have, we would have destroyed ourselves and we would have drawn from God. Remember our God is a God of holiness. God would not, was not going to allow man to act in this way. Genesis chapter six, God saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth. And God said to himself, I'm sorry that I have made man upon the earth. Therefore I will destroy man in whom I have made. If God had allowed this same mess to continue and start all over again at the Tower of Babylon. Notice how quickly we did it again. Then God, by his own holiness, would have had to destroy all of humanity all over again. So God, in his mercy, it's not just judgment that's going on at the Tower of Babel. It is his mercy. And what did Paul say in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 27? He did that, that mankind, hopefully, that we would want to seek God. If perhaps they would grope, we would begin to look for the true God in hope that we would find God. God saying what? Though I was not far from you in the very beginning. It was not God who withdrew himself from man. It was man who withdrew himself from God. All right, guys. <laughs> We've just finished that told off concerning what was, what took place with the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, what took place with the sons of Noah, Shem, Japheth, Ham, <laughs> Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
The same thing that keeps taking place with us all the time. We rebel against God. We reject God. And how quickly do we move away from God? But guess what? How wonderful it is that we have the God that we have. He is a loving God, long-suffering God, and a merciful God that even when God acts in judgment, and that's a principle of judgment I was talking about, even when he does act in judgment, notice how he tempers it with mercy. He even judges us and shows us mercy in the midst of all of that. All right, guys, anyway, enough of that. Check you next time as we move to the next section in the next Told Off. See you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.